Hello Bondapart listeners, it's Rebecca. I just wanted to tell you that we are now on Patreon, with six different subscription tiers and lots of exciting treats and extras, including bonus mini-episodes, monthly catch-ups, Ask Me Anythings and more. So listen to the podcast, follow us on Instagram and please go to patreon.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Thank you. Hello. Hi, Rebecca. It's Beatrice. Hi, Beatrice. It's Rebecca. How are you? I'm well, um, but I am quite glad that we're inching towards the weekend. Yes. Yes, I think that's very welcome. Mm, yeah. It's been a week. It it's is. been a week. Yeah. And now we want the weekend. Yes. <laughs> oh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? Oh, well, I have a few things I want to tell you. Okay. Firstly, you know I'm always cold. That's yes. one fact we know. Another thing is my favorite fairy story is The Princess and the Pea. Largely, it, you, it will make sense since I'm telling you this. Okay. Largely because I was obsessed when I was little with the illustrations where she's on like 25 mm. mattresses and they're all slightly different patterns. Yes. And, well, I'm trying to recreate that in my bedroom oh. because, you see, what I realized is I need to get single-sized things because Adrian's not always cold. So currently, I have the duvet, which is covered in a very attractive kind of very pale bluey-green French linen. Mm. Then I have another single duvet, which is covered in a grey and white graphic print. Then I have a really rather gorgeous pink and green checked blanket with fringes. Then I have a single thin quilt, which is deepest, darkest olive green with tiny white dots. That sounds amazing. So I'm trying to recreate Princess and the Pea, but on top of me. Yeah, that's fantastic. Coda loves it. Yeah, I want to have an outfit with all of this in it. Well, maybe, you know, when it's summer, we can cut it all up and make you an outfit from it. Yeah. But yes, this is making me very happy because I've finally reached a temperature that's acceptable to me. And as I say, Coda just thinks it's the best thing I've ever done. Yeah, I can imagine. So, and it's very nice because you get little flashes of the different patterns. So it's it's taking me back into World of Princess and the Pea. So it's just marvellous. Yes, it sounds amazing. So that's that's my triumph of the week. Yeah. Is having created this pile of things. And then the other thing I've been doing this week is researching for chapter four. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've got access now to the archive, don't oh, you? Oh my mm. giddy aunt. Oh my giddy aunt. And I only have it for this month. So I'm trying to do what I needed to do anyway, and then also that on top. Mm. It's so important this archive is so important and fascinating because like for example i'm writing about this harlem fashion show Mm. trying to find it in the mainstream white press nothing you Mm. know really hard to find anything in the black newspapers you put in fashion show you know 1920 1939 and about three thousand things come up Mm. and amazing amazing things on how 10,000 people were attending 
this one in Chicago, you know, 5,000 wow. in Baton Rouge. This, mm. And it's it's like just everything, like what it's just showing exactly everything. Sorry, Coda is woofing mm-hmm. to agree with me. It's showing everything we knew, but in a new graphic way of how we do not tell histories. Mm. And it's just amazing. But I may have to just stay up for the rest of the month. Because oh, no, no one seems to have it in this country. Oh, really? Should. Not the British Library? I don't think so. Well, mm. well, my the librarian said, "Oh, Senate House doesn't have it," and I don't, I don't know. I should check at the British Library. Mm. But yeah, I'm just very thankful that I have it, and I have my list of keywords that I'm going to work my way through. Wow! So that's been very good. And then I've just been doing research on on illustration and photography, which is really interesting. Oh, that sounds that sounds like a good week, a busy week. A busy week, but a good week. Yeah. And a warm week. Yes. How about you? Well, I went to this event at Barbican about oh. a filmmaker, and he's, he's known as Sam the Wheels. Wow. But his real name is Clovis Constantine Salmon. But apparently wow. no one calls him Clovis. He's just called Sam. He was there. Oh, he was there. He was wow. there. So he's... How cool. I'm sort of... What I'm reading is sort of slightly conflicting in terms of dates, but I guess it doesn't really matter. But somewhere it said he's 94. He's definitely over 90s, I think. Wow. And, and yeah, he was, he was right next to me because I was sitting in the front row. <gasps> so he... He is from Jamaica and he went in, I think in 45, he went to the US, which he really, really did not like to work. Mm. And then he came to England, I think about 54. And then a few years later, I think he started to make films and he didn't have any, you know, training or anything like that. And I saw one video where he talks about he bought this camera and he just put it on a on a desk and he just didn't know what to do at all but he he was also he he worked he was a wheel builder that's where his name come from for bicycles oh oh i saw cuz i saw a little clip that the guardian posted where he talked about how he could make 200 wheels in a yes. day yeah, it's yeah. So he in in Jamaica, he had a cycle, you know, shop, and he said in Jamaica mm. you had to do everything, and he could do everything. But here, you know, ten people make a bike, and he yes. he just um, was wheel building. Yeah, and he was very very good. He worked for a few company and and ending up at a company in Penge called Holdsworth. So he that was his sort of main job. Uh, but he was also a Pentecostal preacher, and um, wow, yeah, he said it, eventually he said well, when you with God, God will help you. So he took his camera to the church, and I think someone told him how to use it. I think that's how it how it worked in the in the end. And he's been apparently filming ever ever since. And he, as part of the event, they also showed a film about him by by a photographer oh. called Sandy Hudson Francis, and it was shot in his house and it they're just video players and cameras and tapes and CDs everywhere. So wow. he must have so, so much. And I don't think that much is digitized. So did he, can I just ask, did, mm. so he lives in Brixton, he yeah. still lives in Brixton. And did he take still photographs as well or is it just video or film, sorry? 
I don't think still photographs and it's not it, interesting. Yeah. And it was never in the event. It wasn't quite clear why, why he started doing it in, mm. I think in the Guardian, it says he did it to show his family back home. What it was. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Because it said that he did audio tapes, but that didn't quite work. So he mm. started doing little films. Yeah, his his daughter was at the event as well, as well, and she she said something like it was almost like a diary. He would film um, oh. every day, and so what they did, they they showed four of his films, and one was quite long, it was twenty minutes, and the other ones were quite short, and they're all called um, Summer Late Summer Layton, which is because a lot of them were shot in Summer Layton Road, um, oh. and this is where the church was um the pentecostal church i think that's why they, the films are called that they're not just shot in summer Layton road actually it reminded me quite a bit of jonas Meekers at some point um oh in what way well because it's there's no not really a narrative in a way it's sort of you know film footage cut together with someone talking over it so he always i think in all the films he talks over them but again not necessarily in a sort of orderly way you know like you would in a bbc documentary it's right. more more like oh look there all these people oh this one obviously can't make up his mind because it's someone who's about to go into brixton market and then they turn around and then they turn around again <laughs> and so he sort of partly comments on what you actually see oh but, i love that yeah and partly sort of says other things the longer film so it's like he's just talking to you yeah and he is that that is one thing he does actually talk to someone you you really feel he's not again it's not like a documentary he i don't think he says you maybe he does sometimes say you oh. can see or something i think he might have said that sometimes because i i can't remember now why i got the distinct i actually wrote that down oh he's talking to someone um, right. So he obviously does it with someone in mind. I guess if they've been done for the family, yes, may maybe that's yes. where that comes, comes and I, from. And I really like that idea because it's not like that kind of voice of God narration. Mm. And it, it doesn't sound like he's trying to kind of be a journalist no. in the way he's doing it. He's being himself reacting to what he sees and commenting. That's really interesting. Yeah. There is one film, which is probably the most well known, which he's done. I think from what I, from what I saw, it looked sort of after the Brixton uprising, mm. um, and he has a small microphone, and you can see sort of his hand holding the microphone to people, and he's asking them things. Right. You know, he says, "Why did why did this happen?" to various people so but that's that's quite different that film in that respect that he asks people mm. otherwise I mean the the long one that they showed at the beginning is really interesting it took me a while to figure out what was going on but it they had built this church called Jesus Saves and they didn't know enough about planning permissions and things like that so they were asked to pull it down so what do you see oh, no. is just the the front of the church still there which is like a you know archetypal house shape 
but you're on the other side, you're not on the mm. outside, you're the inside, but the rest of the church basically is gone. And there are all these, um, there are a lot of people like men and women and children actually dismantling the last bits of it. So there's still quite a bit of floor to be dismantled. So they go around and it, it seems to be at least autumn, if not winter, it's, it's cold and everyone, you know, is wearing, it's from 1970, I think, everyone is wearing short coats with little fur collars and and boots the women and the men quite a few wearing overalls and they're just yes. yeah that they're just going around and there's quite a lot of this footage but then there's also footage of of inside the church and I, I suspect it's the same church but earlier when it was standing I didn't quite understand or whether yes. it was when it then went to a new one and that is also that is quite different in terms of that there's sort of church music underneath sort of the organ the whole time but he's also oh. talking and he's talking about you know that that there's no place for Christ in Brixton at some point I think he says and so that is that is a lot about yeah this particular that is a bit different I think than the other films and it sounds I mean it sounds really fascinating in terms of kind of bureaucracy versus I don't know intent mm. or or the desire and the passion to to build this church but it also sounds like the women are quite dressed up or like they're wearing yeah i know to be doing that because if the men are in over some of the men are in overalls but they're in little coats with um fur trim that sounds really quite I, that's actually true i don't i sort of just accepted it but um yeah they're not they're not yeah they are not dressed for this kind of work they're just dressed for going out well do you think they're dressed to go mm, to church i don't think so i suppose no, not quite as dressed up because as when that. when you see just... the congregation in church yeah that that is more dressed up and in in the film with sandy hudson francis he also that's one thing he remarks upon he said people used to dress much different when they went to church um and he thought i'm not sure he thought that was better he says now they're dressing like they're going to a party oh that's interesting so what do you think he meant maybe it was before more formal maybe i yeah. see so kind of formal and sedate rather than just party spectacle yeah maybe it's a bit more flamboyant now mm. That's very interesting yeah. distinction. Yeah. And it, it was interesting to see the church congregation. There were a lot of, generally, there were a lot of crocheted berries um, very in good. all different colors. Quite a lot of um, scarves, you know, women wearing scarves. Mm. Uh, and yeah. Like silk mm -hmm. scarves or woolly yeah, scarves? Yeah, silk scarves over the heads, you know, like, like ah, you used to good. do. And yeah, I guess it's just at the point where you you still wear head coverings quite a bit and the, the men were wearing mm. um not not just in church you know the men were also wearing hats and yeah he had at the event he had a leather pork pie hat very yeah good. very good and are are all the films in color yes they're all they're all in color and i think what we were shown so the event there were a few people there so there was mark seeley who's the director of autograph and um, someone called Lucy Davis, who runs 198 Gallery. Um, oh, yes. And then the artist, Sandy Hudson Francis, who made the film. and Such an interesting range of yes, people. Yes, definitely. And so Lucy Davis at 198, she was very much behind, I think, this first digitization. And I think they now mm. have money to digitize 
more. And it was I thought it was really interesting what she said um, about that she thought it was good that the archive will remain in Brixton. And mm. I mean, for me, working at someone at a large institution, it was a bit sad what she said, but I can see why, because she said, you know, it's better people will have better access to it than if it goes to one of the large institutions, you know. Oh, and I, wow. I I felt bad that she feels that way. Mm. But on the other hand, I can understand that. And I thought, mm. I thought that was, I don't know, I just thought about that a lot since, that having archives more where they have been created. It's interesting. I mean, what do you feel about that? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's... <laughs> this this is related there was another point when when his his suitcase came up that he came over with and he still mm. had it and um as part of the 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 film about him he he brings it out and he he washes it off a little bit and he takes the dust off and i kept thinking this would be such an amazing thing to have in the museum yes but yes, then i also yes. thought well he's obviously you know, hanging on to it and it should maybe not go to the museum, it should go somewhere else. And so I, I don't know, I think I, I never really mind actually to be where things are as long as they are somewhere, you know, in yes, a way. Yes. And I can see why people say, you know, it's maybe a bit more difficult to get, get to things that that's the, that's maybe the thing we need to change that it's less. Yeah, well, it's interesting, because I think, Traditionally, in old school histories, you you thought or one was led to believe that it was better if they were at a big institution because then everybody can get to a central True. big institution. Mm. But then, then that you know, by recognizing that a central institution is problematic in and of mm. itself, I suppose you also decentralize where things yeah. are. Mm. And you kind of make people come to, I mean, I think, I think Brixton, obviously it's super easy to get to Brixton mm. from central London. So it's still, if people were coming to London to do research on, on, on something relating to him, it would be easy. But also I think, you know, because there's the black cultural archives yes. here and there's one, you know, I mean, I would hope people would see it as a hub mm. for coming to study black British histories. Yeah. So, so that's really good. And I, yeah, it's, it's interesting though, isn't it? And it's, as you say, because, because you're at the Museum of London, it's like, it's immediately, you think these should all be at the Museum of mm. London. They should all be here. Everything should be here, but everything can't no. all be in one place. Mm. So, and it, and I think it also, something that I've really felt sometimes when I've been doing research and just been going to big institutions is that I thought I want to go where this material is from because I don't really understand that place. Mm. And obviously you're not going back in time to the 1970s or 80s when he was making the films, but I think coming to Brixton, you have more of a context for it than going to central London or east London. That's true, actually. And I think particularly, maybe it is also particularly pertinent to his work because it's so much about mm. place and it's you know it's it's yes all, I mean I don't know it's just the you know there seems to be loads and loads of footage and it was just that what was shown yesterday was shot on the streets 
Um, you know, mm-hmm. there was there was a long film. So there was there was this one with with the church, which is about twenty minutes. Um, but then there is also one which is just mainly it's almost like a tour of Brixton. Um, oh, that sounds great! I'd yeah, love to see that. so he is going. You know, that's where that happens with the man who doesn't know whether he wants to go in the market or out. <laughs> and yeah, so there's a lot about market and what is being sold there, and then sort of street life as well. And yeah, he goes past a cash and carry and. A woman is um, sweeping the street, and children are hopping along. So it's it's a sort of tour, um, yes. and which he comments comments on. And you know, I I used to live there, so I know it reasonably well, and it makes a difference yes. um, knowing yes. the streets and 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 seeing it. So in yeah, in that respect, it makes even more sense to go there to see it there. Yes, and and if you've already gone there to go to the archive. Mm maybe you'd then be more inclined or it's easier to then see at least some of the places that he found. Yeah. And do you think like with the market, cause I've seen like little Pathé news clips of, of Brixton market, which I always find fascinating mm. from the fifties. And do, and I always obviously really love the seeing the clothes mm. of the shoppers and stallholders. But also I remember there's one, I think from the fifties where they've got can can skirts, which are like frilly, net mm. things petticoats they almost look like and I just really remember that and I loved it that there was a stall and they specialized in yeah. can can skirts but it does made me wonder about do you think his his films are are useful and it well not useful interesting from a fashion dress history perspective yeah that they definitely are I I just I find it hard to tell you much now because it was just so fleeting you know they yes yes you do. yeah it, it it i mean they're definitely i re, i i just remember sort of certain things like there was a it sort of might sound weird there was a lot of white that was partly because the choir in the church were all wearing white yes but also the woman that you then later see sweeping the street is wearing white and it and it's it still seems to be winter or autumn or something and that it just that's something that caught my eye and then there's one very again very very short segment where a group of men stand in sort of mostly grayish suits with hats and they just look Mm. really sharp and you know really really great great suits and so that there is quite a lot quite a lot of um it would would, i'd love i'd love to see them really in slow motion i watch them again and again and again yeah um i think there's a lot a lot you would you would see and yeah it's so not yeah and again it's so nice that it's sort of everyday dress and just people on the streets so yes. I look f- really look forward to more you know being digitized and being made accessible uh, well exactly apparently he used all sorts of different film formats so that's going to be a challenge oh and that video. sounds good as mm. well I mean he sounds like such an amazing fascinating man like someone who has such sort of various skills and varied skills but also like so he seems like he's really curious which is such a a lovely thing to be yeah like he's just wanting to to see things and understand them through his films but also to then share them with other people you know whether it's just like his family or whoever but that he's he's wanting to show people literally what he is seeing yeah that's definitely cute curious and also very open um mm. and he he did mm. talk about how that life was hard here and um mm. uh and i guess that's sort of part of 
of the sharing as well is to show yes so i i thought that was another thing that that really stayed with me sort of mark seely said that it maybe it's not and wasn't intended as a form of activism but it but it is and yes, i thought yes. that was really that's really good because mm. that's like i always really like what carol tullock says about this idea of quiet activism that there's like different ways that you can be an activist and sometimes it's it's simply by being mm. a particular way in resistance to to the stereotypes or the vision that the that the white gaze is trying to impose on mm. you and yes i can see that that it it's like he's he's making the vision his and the story of that place his mm. and and his you know the people around him mm. I think it's so yeah and I think you also also got um he's obviously very proud of his wheel making I yes. you don't you didn't get the I don't think from anything I've seen I got the impression that he really no I don't know he doesn't seem to be to think that's such a big deal what he's done with the films you know, also yesterday he said, Lucy Davis, he said, oh, every, you know, he doesn't do anything. She does everything. She, you know, uh, and, you, and so, yeah, I thought that was interesting too. Now, I was going to ask you that, like how he, how he's responded to, to people's interest in his archive. I mean, how did they get, like, what was it? How did they find out about him? Uh, I think it, it was generally well known and I do actually, mm. um, I, I talked to Joachim about it and we both remember remember seeing, because there's a lot of bikes outside this house and we both, oh, it's right. further up Railton Road from where we used to live and I, we both yeah. remember seeing it and I think he, he was just, you know, he's just, he lived in, in Brixton since 54 so mm. he's just well known and I think he sometimes works outside of the house and uh, that's the impression you got from from the yeah. film so I think people just knew that that he had that that yes. actually but I don't know you're right I don't know that wasn't wasn't mentioned no I just mm. wondered because it's so extraordinary and and I think it's also interesting in Brixton because I think it is the only place I've lived in London where I do know all my neighbors I do know the shopkeepers I do know do you mm. know what I mean it's like you do like people sit outside their houses in the summer or talk to people and I don't you know obviously it's not a sort of utopia I don't want to give that impression but mm. I think there's much more more here than anywhere else in London I've lived of just knowing about people and of people of people having lived here yeah. all their lives and spending all their life in Brixton like not really like occasionally going into the West End but it's an actual place where you just live mm. Do you know what I mean? Which I think lots of places in London aren't. People live there and they just then go into work mm. and they don't really hang out in their area. That's true. So I think there are there are like local legendary mm. people, you know, who everybody knows that person and everybody talks to that person and that person knows everyone. So then you hear about other people from them. So, and I really think that's a brilliant thing about yeah. about it mm. here. Um, so he seems like part of that kind of network of of people who've been here forever, mm. it seems, and who are doing something extraordinary, but they've always done it so they don't realise they're extraordinary. Yeah, and I think 
And again, it that's reminded me of um, Jonas Mikasi. There's a, somewhere on the internet, there's a film of him giving a talk. And he said from when he had his first camera, he just always had his camera with him. And it just, that's yes. maybe also part of why it's not a big deal, because that's just how it is. Yes, yes. And it's, it, well, it's both that thing that the everyday is extraordinary. Mm. And, and when you actually focus in on supposed normal, ordinary life, it's really strange and weird. But it's also that things become extraordinary because the world changes and is, and, and thank goodness that we're now all, I hope, wanting to look at a range of people and a range of mm. sources and a range of images of, of the world. Because I, I thought it was really interesting when the little clip that I saw in that Guardian article you sent mm. me, um, where he talks about during the uprisings that he just put his camera in his yes. coat, like had his coat open and had it in an inside pocket. So he was filming all the time, but the but no one could yes. see he was doing it because he felt the police would take it away from him or or the, the people involved in the uprising would take it away from him. And, I mean, it's so clever to do that, but also it's – I don't know what how you, you become a, an active flaneur. Mm. But maybe you don't. You've turned into something else. But I really like this idea of him roaming the streets yeah. and following the uprising – and I think, like you said, Mark Seeley said, that is definitely a form mm. of activism of of this compulsion to record yeah. and show because what's happening is important and you know that the wrong idea of it is going to be mm. given by the mainstream media and by the police. Mm. And so you're creating this, this document. Mm. Yeah. Because I wonder what he did with those. Like, I wonder... You know, has has it all been sitting in his house all this time? Did he send it to his relatives in Jamaica? Do you know what I mean? Is there like a another archive in Jamaica with his his family there? That's true. I mean, it it did, did raise more question almost than it answered yesterday. Well, it was mm. just a relatively short event. Yeah. But uh, he did mention at one point that after the uprising, some people from I think he said from the BBC came round and just knocked on all the houses and said, what have you seen? Mm. Were you there? And um, he said, well, I've got all the footage here. Um, <laughs> and I, but I then don't know whether they used it at all. I don't, I don't know yeah. that. Um, and I'd love to find, you saw a bit of the footage um, because when, when he started in this one company, it turned out he could really make that many wheels. They they mm. again brought caught got in the um, cameras and there must be the, you know you saw a bit of that footage oh. from but via him filming it from a TV you know it was it was quite um, grainy and everything and it must be somewhere mm. um, I know that's not that important but in in, in the general scheme oh, of but things it is. but it, it um, is because it, it I really it's really fascinating because it shows that he's incredibly dexterous and like his hand-eye coordination is extraordinary to do that mm. and it is like that's also there in that's filmmaking mm. I mean it's being deployed to a completely different um you know purpose but it's it's that sense of being he must be so kind of quick wit quick witted isn't the right isn't quite what I mean but do you know what I mean that hand-eye mm. thing of like 
not there being no delay, no time lag, yeah, between him seeing and responding, mm. and so he can he can do that with the camera as well. And he's justifiably proud of being a brilliant yes wheelmaker, yes. bike maker. That's yeah. a real accomplishment yeah. and skill, and it's. And I mean, the fact he was also a preacher, yeah. it's like he's... Incredible, yeah, yeah. It's such an interesting range of seemingly unrelated, but there's kind of skills and yeah. talents within there that you feel... With the preaching, it's very much, of course, the, again, the showing people, yeah, tell, telling yes, people about yes. something. Yes, mm. yes. Wow, it sounds like such a yeah, good Yeah, it really was, it really was, and I look forward to more more of his work yeah no it seems like as you say this is the beginning yeah. of of knowing about mm. him and and finding out more yeah. we must go to the 198 gallery yes. yeah that's together. a good plan yeah yeah okay thank you well, so no. much for telling me about it it's so yes, fascinating it was. yeah well i think you 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 told me about it in the first instance so thank you well thank me thank you thank okay. us all right <laughs> See you next yeah. week then. Bye. Bye. Bye.